welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with certified nutrition coach. Having lived with diabetes type 1 for over 30 years has left her with many tricks up her sleeve to find solutions quickly and turn them into lasting results. As well as 30 years of experience, who can claim that at the age of 25? I'll check that later on. She has a goal to help you find ways to feel confident with diabetes, focus on things your care team won't even think of, you can have the power to know what's going on, not feel alone and be motivated in taking care of yourself. And most importantly, be a healthier you. Today, we'll be chatting about living with diabetes. A very warm welcome to the podcast. I'm going to try to get the surname correctly. Hannah Boetius. Did Yay! I do it? Well yeah. done. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no, my pleasure. So I'm going to get started. Where are you right now on planet Earth? And what's the weather like? Oh, it's actually sunny, which I'm very happy about. And I am right outside of Zurich in Switzerland. Oh, very nice. Very, very, very posh. So where else have you lived? I mean, I'm looking at your bio there. You've lived in five other countries. Is that correct? Yes, I have. I uh, was born in Sweden. I am half Swedish, half Finnish. So uh, then after a while, we moved to Finland. And then I moved to Switzerland when my father got a job here. And sort of since then, well, the two other countries come from my studies and I lived in London and then in Berlin for an exchange year. So that's two more countries. And then I came back here. So, yeah, that becomes five. <laughs> okay, I'm going to put you on the spot, Hannah. What's your favorite place to live in out of those five? Well, I'm still here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. No, I love, I love traveling. And that is my biggest hobby, actually, uh, is to travel and discover new, wor- new worlds, new ends of the world, and new people and new uh, traditions and food and, you know, culture and everything. But that's been sort of halting for the past couple of years. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm missing that part. But yes, I lo- love to go everywhere. But I like to have my home base here. All right, cool. So, I mean, I'm not going to bore the listeners with my voice anymore. So I've given you an introduction. So where pretty much did all this start? And can you give our listeners a little bit more about your background? Oh, absolutely. Well, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of two. And uh, I was only a wee little thing. And yeah, it was uh, quite an experience because this was, of course, in the mid 80s. And the low fat era was at its highest peak available and the sort of nutritional um, advice that my parents got for me at that time ended up 28 years later uh, not serving me that well anymore and I had to do something drastic in order to save my own life. Before we get into that maybe I should just go through quickly what the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes is because I know this is a common question. Type 1 diabetes is when your your immune system has decided that those insulin producing cells in your pancreas are not, you know, worthy of being along for the ride anymore. Right. <laughs> so basically, it's an autoimmune disease that knocks out your insulin production and insulin everyone needs, whether they have diabetes, whether they, whether they don't have diabetes, whether they take it from the outside, like I do in injections or, uh, or a pump, it's a, you have to have it in order to live, you need insulin. In comparison, type two diabetes is when your cells no longer recognize the insulin that your body is producing. So 
I like to think of it of sort of a one of these really screamy toddlers in the grocery store. <laughs> That's the insulin in this uh, in this scenario. And, you know, they're banging on the floor and they're like, listen to me. Bye. And the cells are like, are like the parents like, oh, my God, I can't take it anymore. I can't see you. I can't hear you. I'm just going to you know, stand here and hope for the best that it goes away. And that's sort of the, the situation in type 2 diabetes, uh, very simply explained. <laughs> <laughs> which then is the worst? Or is there a worse? Or which is more? I mean, if we take it back, to, so you were two years of age when you were pretty much was diagnosed or you found out. So how did you find out? I know you know you're two years of age, but how did your family find out? Were you showing signs and symptoms? Yes, definitely. My mom didn't recognize me anymore. Um, I was very tired. I would fall asleep in the middle of meals with head first into the plate. I was very thirsty. My diapers were very heavy. Um, I uh, didn't gain weight like I was supposed to and everything. And these are the classical symptoms of type one diabetes. So my mom took me to the doctors and they very quickly you know, realized what it was got into a hospital and stayed there for, I don't even know how long anymore. <laughs> um, and those are the classical symptoms of type one. In type two, it's a little bit more diffuse maybe because it's much more gradual. Type one comes on very quickly. It, uh, your pancreas or your insulin producing cells get gradually destroyed, but in the end it goes very quickly. So the symptoms come on very quickly. And in type two, it can be very gradual. It can go on for years, if not even decades before you actually notice that something is wrong. And it's really diffuse things like being tired, you know, not really being able to focus, your vision is a little so-so, you know, going to the bathroom, well, you know, the things that you can attribute to basically anything. It could be a hangover or it could be, right. you know, a, coming, a flu coming on, or it could be just, you know, the stress of daily life. It, it's very easy to sort of, to blame it on that, so to say. But yeah, yeah it, that this is why I feel like, diabetes screening is very important especially for type 2 yeah. and is it genetic as well I mean if you if you had a two years of age I mean was there any family history I don't have any family history I'm the lucky one right okay? <laughs> <laughs> but yes it can be it can be hereditary it can be uh, genetic absolutely but it also needs sort of some sort of trigger so a lot of people with type 1 have for example uh, had a I don't know, a viral infection or something that sort of has kicked the immune system into gear. And uh, yeah, so that's the case in type one. In type two, it can also be hereditary. Absolutely, if it is in the family, it can move on <laughs> further right. down the line, but it can also be lifestyle related. So if, you, if one has been very sedentary, you know, eating the maybe not the healthiest stuff, drinking too much, smoking, all these things can contribute to a uh, future diabetes diagnosis, absolutely. And is one more serious than the other or do you have to manage them differently? I would say, I wouldn't say that one is more serious than the other because they're both devastating when you get the news, of course. Yeah. Um, so in the treatment, they are, of course, they can be different. There are type two di people with type two diabetes who need insulin, absolutely, but it's not as common as all of us type one need insulin and that can be a bigger hurdle with all the needles, all the injections, all the, and of course, things like finger pricks, everyone has to do um, to check blood sugar. And yeah, so there's a lot of uh, things that you have to sort of alter in order to be able to live a, a healthy and normal and happy life uh, going forward. Although it is absolutely possible. <laughs> 
Are there any tests out there? I mean, you 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 were diagnosed that when you were two, where you were displaying signs and symptoms. But are there any available tests now with advancements in technology to find out uh, from birth that somebody has diabetes? That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, not really. I mean, there are um, there are trials and things going on checking the genetic sequence for um, people, primarily children of type one people with type 1 diabetes so that they can see what would trigger and uh, what the genetic makeup would look like. But there's nothing sort of definitive out there yet. The best thing one can do is to go to the yearly health checks or whatever um, is available in your uh, area and have a blood sugar test done or a blood test done and have everything checked out. Like we would do with, I don't know, cholesterol or like we would do with blood pressure or, uh, you know, things like that. Usually for people in offices, that is quite inclusive in the the healthcare. What about then diet? So how then does diet affect uh, individuals with diabetes? I mean, is it generally because stereotypically, especially from uh, dumb Dave, which is me. Um, how, <laughs> how if, if, if you're talking to dumb Dave, which you are right now, how then would you oh. tell me with regards to my diet to monitor it? Are we talking about, you know, you're eating too much fruit? Because you hear so much different information, which kind of gets confusing because some people say, oh, you know, fruit is healthy diet. But then some others say, mm-hmm. well, too much sugar is in fruit. And then some people say, oh, that's natural sugar. It's not like chocolate. So how then, what's the path to kind of maintaining or managing diabetes or preventing you getting it at all? I think the first thing we need to do is to stop taking a nutritional advice from tabloid newspapers. I think right, that's okay. the first, a great first step. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think, because you can twist and these studies come out and you can twist and turn them whichever way that is suitable for you in order to create clickbait, to make these amazing uh, articles that are gonna spread virally and all this stuff. So I don't think that maybe is the best source of information when it comes to nutrition. I think, um, and if you are able to, I would see a healthcare professional about it. If that is not an option, I would uh, look at my current situation. What are my issues right now? What am I not happy with? What is not feeling good? And if, you know, let's take an example, like if eating meat does not make you feel well in your body, if meat has, if meat is a moral question for you, ethical question, then, you know, explore other options. On the other hand, if eating meat makes you happy (laughs) (laughs) and makes you feel healthy and vibrant and, and uh, energized, then keep doing it. But, you know, make sure that you sort of look more at the sources where the food comes from rather than what food. I think that healthy, healing, whole foods without labels are the best thing that you can eat in whichever form. So basically, if you would go to the supermarket and eat and buy an eggplant, it doesn't have a nutritional label. It doesn't have a list of ingredients. It doesn't have anything. It means that it's whole, (laughs) healthy, fresh food coming straight from the farm to your supermarket and then subsequently to your table. And the same with, for example, meat, or if you choose to eat that, it won't have a a, a, a sort of ingredient label. It'll just be nice, natural, healthy stuff for your body that your body can really use. 
And in terms of sugar, as you mentioned before, I think if you can handle it and you feel well, then eat the fruit, Jesus. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't take that out because some tabloid or some person on the internet told you to. You have to sort of check in with yourself a little bit. What I am a little bit questionable about <laughs> when it comes to sugar are all the added stuff and all the junk food and all the sort of things that come from factories and not farms sort of thing. That's where I have a little bit of a not so sure that that maybe is the best for us and for our species, actually. What are then, Hannah, uh, with regards to fruit again? I have this fascination with fruit because I like a bit of fruit. I have some grapes now and again. I have some mandarin awesome. oranges. And um, what is what is the devil of fruit in terms of what's probably the worst type of fruit you could eat in high sugar content? Or is there one already, already kind of similar? I mean, is watermelon high sugar content? Is pears? I mean, or is it just depending? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I don't think, unless you have a blood sugar problem, I don't think whole fruits are ever going to be really bad. What can be maybe not as beneficial are fruit juices. Because right. then you take out the fiber from the fruit, which is a really important part for digesting the fruit properly in, in the sequence that it's supposed to be digested, if you get what I mean. Right. Uh, because fiber slows down the, the digestive tract a little bit and, you know, ma make sure that it has time to bring all these things in and, and digest all these things that the wonderful fruits have, like vitamins and fibers, as I mentioned, and all these things that are really good for you and the flavor. I mean, hello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and in comparison, for example, fruit juice and especially, you know, commercially, you know, extracted, maybe probably over a week ago, it's not, there's not going to be that much nutrition in it anymore. Right. And also you don't know if they've added sugar to make it even sweeter. And then that's, that's no longer fruit. That's just basically a, a, a very fizzy beverage without the fizzles. <laughs> right. So it's just, it's just clever branding, so to speak, yeah. in a way to, to kind of get us to have it like a, because sometimes you see the packets, the packets will have, you know, three of your five a day or, exactly. Is that, I mean, what, what, is the, what is the truth behind that? Are you aware of the, the three of five a day or is it, has it changed now or is it just total nonsense? I am aware of it and uh, a, a lot. Ooh, how can I spin this without sounding like an idiot? Um, we won't mention, we no. won't mention any companies, but just, just say it as it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, I believe fruits and vegetables are definitely part of a very healthy diet. Absolutely. If you, on the other hand, are not feeling well eating those five and depending on also what you comprise those five a day of, if that is, you know, canned sugared pineapple <laughs> right. and uh, apple something, you know, made in apple looking thing in a factory. And, you know, the third thing is, I don't know what, this really like produced stuff instead of grown stuff right <laughs> see the difference um that i think again we go back to whole foods and as long as those five a day are of whole food uh, quality then absolutely go for it i don't think we necessarily have to push ourselves to eat that much unless we absolutely want to but this is also uh, we come back to food marketing again because this is somewhere that they can really, really use that to their advantage and say that, you know, drinking fruit juice is one of your five a day. 
but it's basically empty nutrition. There's not much left there. Right. So it comes back to food marketing and it comes back to, uh, to quality of food. So the difference then, I'm going to put you on the spot now. First, I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite fr- uh, fruit and veg? What, what would you kind of go towards, especially with you having diabetes? So what would uh, your kind of go-to fruit be? My go-to fruit would be avocado. Oh, okay. Why? Because it's delicious. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> no, it's delicious. And it's also got a lot of healthy nutrition. It's very nutritionally dense, which right. is what I always look at. I look at instead of eating, uh, we've at least a couple of years ago, there was a huge talk about, you know, empty calories and what that could be like fizzy drinks and stuff like that. And especially in the UK, um, there was a huge debate about it. But what I look for in food is that they have a lot of nutrition for the amount that you're eating, whether that be calories or, or, um, or grams or weight. So that's what I look at. And then avocado comes up pretty high <laughs> on that list. And it's also, of course, low in sugar. And that helps my blood sugar, of course. And would you have um, like one, one a day or is it kind of like maybe a few times a week? Sometimes I have one a day, sometimes I have none for a couple of weeks and then I have one again. Like it completely depends on how I how I feel. It's nothing that I actively strive to put into my diet. It's just if I feel like it, I feel like it. What about then the difference between organic? We'll go back to branding now again, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> organic food, because you're mentioning whole foods. And yeah. is there a difference between organic and the normal stuff we were led to believe that you know, the local supermarkets will sell or the big chains yeah. will sell. What would you go for in, in your opinion? I, this, I think this is more location-based than anything else. Um, and some countries have a stricter view on what is uh, to be named organic and some have a little more laid back <laughs> view right. on the whole thing. <laughs> but I, I have this example and I, I talk about it a lot, but for example, there are there is you know organic smoked salmon, for example. Okay. And when you look at the back of the packaging, it's a farmed, which is maybe not the healthiest version of salmon that you can eat. And secondly, it's been fed you know some sort of mash of of corn and stuff, which is not really what salmon's usually eat, is it? Right. <laughs> So that's, you know, and still they can call it organic because the food that they were fed was organic. That doesn't make the fish healthy, but it makes them able to put the organic label on there, which, you know, it's things like that that has led me to to maybe stick to, especially when it comes to vegetables, I stick to to organic as much as I can. But if I don't find it, I'm not going to cry in a supermarket if I don't find, you know, an organic <laughs> zucchini or whatever. Um, but I try to uh, keep it organic, yeah. So to give the listeners then a little insight of your diet that you might have throughout the day. So from the moment you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed, what is your typical diet throughout the day? I'm every um, dietitian's nightmare. Okay. Because they <laughs> they've always told me throughout these past 36 years of living with the type 1 diabetes, they've always told me that I have to eat at least six times a day. Okay. Which I do definitely not anymore because I've uh, I realized a good 10 years ago that what is the point of eating if I'm not hungry? And disclaimer, I have never had any sort of 
uh, eating disorders or you know any disordered thinking about food or anything so i trust my body in this rather than anything else i see how this could be a problem if if for example you one would have a background with anorexia for example because that's a horrible terrible um disease yeah and it leads you to think very differently about food but because i haven't had anything like that i can trust i dare to trust my body in you know i eat when i'm hungry and that usually ends up being about twice a day so i usually skip breakfast because i'm just not hungry and i just want to get on with my work okay <laughs> <laughs> and i have a delicious cup of coffee instead in the morning and then i eat at lunchtime so sort of now sort of 12 1ish i have a some sort of protein either whether it's chicken or red meat or fish or seafood or whatever with a bunch of yummy vegetables and that can be broccoli or cauliflower or you know anything anything green ish um, in the in the vegetable section or you know uh, one of my favorites is fajita chicken So you know bell peppers and onions and all these yummy spices and chicken and all this stuff and you just eat it with either sour cream or uh, or guacamole which this is like a favorite. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um and then basically I do the same again at dinner time and then I'm happy. I'm happy. And any desserts in between? Any little sneaky ice creams or chocolate bars or is that out of limits? Oh, I eat chocolate every day. Oh wow. but it is a very high cacao content chocolate so sort of 80 90% chocolate but it's just one of those things that um adds a little bit of a silver lining to life and i think that's very very important food has to be enjoyable it can't be you know a pre pre-given meal plan i'm allergic against <laughs> I really really don't like it because then I don't get to decide what I eat then someone else has decided for me what I should be eating at and at what point of time which is very counterintuitive to me and very counterproductive so um yeah I have to be able to listen to myself and then see when and what I want to be eating is the high level uh, cocoa I'm sure the listeners will be like ooh especially the ones that maybe experiencing diabetes be like oh okay high, high level cocoa content is that Is that a good thing? Is that a better thing for people suffering with? Can I say suffering? Is that allowed? That's probably the wrong word to say. You can say it, but it's suffering. it's not very nice. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say those who have diabetes or yeah, live experience with it, diabetes you know. or live with it. Yes, I do apologize. Experience life that. with it. <laughs> yes, that 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 was a slip of the tongue. Suffering. We won't say that anymore. So, I mean, the higher content then of cocoa is that a good thing? I would say yes because that means that there's less added sugar in it and that is uh, one of the the main things and I think it's also it's richer in taste so it's easier not to overeat it. Right. I mean you can eat like a no brands mentioned but you know a chocolate milk chocolate bar you know you can eat the whole thing. Yes. But if you try to eat a whole bar of 80 or 90% cacao chocolate you're going to be struggling because it's very very rich and it's very um so yeah it becomes this like these small uh small little moments in in life where you just like can sit down with a good cup of cup of coffee and a great you know square of chocolate and you're just like ah this is beautiful <laughs> <laughs> preferably with some sunshine <laughs> well so you mean you give the positive spin on this i mean i'm learning so much now so pretty much you can live a, a pretty much normal life with diabetes is that true or false or depending no it, it's absolutely true 
um, it comes down to your lifestyle choices in a, to a large extent. It, the thing with diabetes is that it really becomes what you make of it in the end. And I know that sounds super arrogant, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, but if you would have, if we would have had this chat, let's say 12 years ago, I would A, not have said the same, but B, I would have been in a completely different both mindset and shape in terms of my diabetes. Right. Um, 12 years ago, I was basically on the verge of my body giving up on me and I wasn't sure I was going to see my 30th birthday which is sad when you are sort of upper 20s, supposed to have the time of your life and you just don't feel like doing anything because your body's so sluggish from all the terrible blood sugar uh, values, all the, the whole blood sugar roller coaster, and it was terrible. Right. Yet, I have managed to turn this around with, absolutely, to some extent, I've had to sacrifice my former life, but what I've gained instead is so much better and I wish I would have done this you know what whatever I did 10 years ago I wish I would have done you know 30 years ago almost 40 years ago now just right. in order to save myself the pain and the panic and the sort of sadness and the ah oh, so much stuff that diabetes can bring with it but it doesn't have to and the the, the key in that lies to find out what really works for you, whether that's in terms of food or whether that's in terms of medication or lifestyle, you know, movement. Not everyone has to go to the gym or run on the treadmill for an hour a day. There are so many wonderful ways to move your body and our bodies are really designed for being moved um, so that you can really find whatever makes you the happiest where you can do that you can do for an hour and you don't even notice that an hour has gone by. So yeah, there are a lot of things that one can do. And yes, it is absolutely 100,000% possible to live a very <laughs> healthy, happy, vibrant life with diabetes. How did you cope then, Hannah? You mentioned there like uh, kind of those periods where, I mean, how did, how did you cope and kind of push through with determination to get through this? I mean, did you have a support mechanism or was it just sheer drive and determination on your behalf? Especially for, for people that might be, they're feeling a bit low at the moment and they may be experiencing diabetes. I mean, how, how did you do that? It was a long road for me because I didn't have any support system. I mean, yes, friends and family and those close by, but they're not really always in a position to be that motivating factor. Yeah. <laughs> it has to come or it came for me, it came from within because I realized that if I keep going like this, I won't, you know, this is not going to take long. I'm, I won't be here anymore. Right. And that was an eye-opening experience. And that doesn't mean that everything went uh, according to plan thereafter <laughs> yeah. either. There's a lot of, I mean, healing and getting better is never, um, is never linear. Whether that is, you know, healing from a broken bone or, or um, you know, from a cold even. Let's not bring out the C word, but a cold, we can say. <laughs> yes, a cold. <laughs> Um, it, it is never linear. There are small setbacks, di differing setbacks the whole way. And it's the same trying to get out of a, a not so good place with diabetes. It's not going to be from one day to another and it's not going to be quick. It's not going to be painless probably either, but it's going to be definitely worth it because what awaits you at the, okay, this sounds very bad, but what awaits you at the, the other end is just so worth it. When you feel that you are healthy 
when you feel that you are sort of when diabetes no longer takes up 99% of your time, but maybe for me, maybe now 20% of my time rather than 99. And as long as those sort of percentages start going down. So one day it might be still 99 for me. That's not a problem, you know, and those days happen whether I want to or not. But then some days it's really, you know, 2%. And I'm like, oh, look at that. That, that was an awesome day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really about changing your mindset into looking for the positives rather than the negatives. And I, will, I am so very amazingly good at looking at all the negative things in my life <laughs> <laughs> and really highlighting them. But if you, start, if you just start looking at one positive thing a day, and then maybe one day you find two positive things. Oh my God, look at that. Already a hundred percent increase of positive things happening to you. And then after, as long as you keep training your mind to sort of notice these things, you are eventually going to come to a much more positive um, side of life and you're going to be able to enjoy it that much more. You're very inspirational. How then do other people see you as an individual if you were to tell them you have diabetes? I mean, what's a stereotypical view of diabetic people, especially in your experience over the years? I mean, did they kind of, are they in shock? Are they kind of nervous of how to be around you? Do they kind of watch what they eat around you? What was the reaction? Well, one of the most common things that I get to hear uh, when, I, when I tell people, new people that I haven't met that I have diabetes, they're like, but you're not fat. <laughs> um, no. True. Thank you for noticing. But <laughs> <laughs> so there's a very stereotypical uh, vision of a person with diabetes and what they look like. They are fat. They are lazy. They eat junk food and they don't take care of themselves. That's basically it. When the vast majority of us living with diabetes are nothing like that at all. <laughs> right. We are, you know, out moving healthy vibrant you know doing things taking care of ourselves eating really healthy you know all of these things and um i when i was growing up i was i always used to hide the fact that i had diabetes because i was so ashamed of it and i didn't want to be like you know someone i didn't want to be different from everyone else that's all you want as a as a young adult isn't it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be like sure. everyone else and this has also changed for me as I've gotten older. And before, we didn't have these great tools and technology that I have access to now. Like I have, I wear a continuous glucose uh, monitor, for example, and that is always visible on, you know, my body somewhere. And I wear an insulin pump, and that is always visible. And now I actually take, you know, I take pride in people asking, and they're like, "Oh, what is that? Is that a pager?" I'm like, "It's definitely not a pager." <laughs> <laughs> Although it might look like it, I'm not that retro. Thanks, though. <laughs> but there, I think it has a chance to to educate people about yeah. what it is and that spread awareness rather than hiding it because no one really it doesn't really help anyone. It causes anxiety in me. It causes anxiety in other people when they then finally find out. And yeah, it's not for me. It's not the right way to go. I realize, and I have been there myself, that not everyone wants to do that. But for me, that's the right choice. It is the device that you wear. I mean, is it noticeable or is it like, does it impede you in any way during your, your normal day or do you kind of Not ignore really. it now? Um, I get, uh, I, I was afraid of, of, uh, of getting an insulin pump for almost 30 years. Cause I thought it would make me sicker. 
right. thought it would make me think of diabetes much more. I thought it would make me, you know, but actually I think it took about two weeks and then I was hooked. Okay. <laughs> I was hooked and I, I got used to it really, really quickly. And now I just see it as a part of me. Uh, it comes with me wherever I go. It's having a, you know, it's like having a clingy pet, but except you can't actually ever get rid of it. <laughs> and is it, I mean, is there a procedure involved to connect it to your, to your body or how does it work? Yeah. I mean, is it like an operation or? No, no, no. I, I do. I manage all of this myself from home. That's not a problem. Uh, basically, I have to put a catheter underneath my skin. Right. So it leaves a six millimeter plastic little straw looking thing underneath my skin. And I connect that to my insulin pump so that it pumps in insulin every five minutes, 24 seven, 365, all of this thing. So I do that all on my own. And I think that is definitely a blessing because if it had to be done in a clinic or something, the adherence rate would go down the drain because no one would have time or energy to, to do that. Uh, and that's usually then, of course, would mean a much more invasive. I was going to say, I, I, can I say that's pretty cool because it's kind of like, I mean, did they have these these uh, devices many years ago? Or are they quite an updated type of technology? I mean, is, is this a pretty cool thing to have now? <laughs> to make, I mean, well, you know, what I'm trying to, get, to try and maintain the diabetes and try uh, for you to have to carry on as have a normal life as possible. For me, it's definitely a lifestyle choice. I mean, I have friends who who uh, use injections and they manage well on that, and I know I would be able to as well. But there's certain like little things that I just prefer with the pump. And yes, I am super privileged in able to ha- being able to have this choice, whether I be on injections or or uh, an insulin pump, or actually, in fact, just having access to insulin at all, because that is a huge problem around the world, not just in, you know, deepest uh, Africa, but for example, in the United States, it's a huge issue where people can't afford their, their insulin, because it's, it's so, um, it's priced so expensively. And so I am very, very lucky and honored and, and very privileged in having access to all these things that I do have access to. And uh, that needs to change. Absolutely. <laughs> it's an education. I'm learning so much today. And um, is diabetes then oh, reversible? I'm happy. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm, I'm really getting into it now. Is diabetes reversible? I mean, is it a case of you have it, you have it for life? Or through managing it, has individuals been able to reverse having diabetes at all? Or is it just a typical branding? I, type 1 is not uh, reversible. Type 1 diabetes, it's not reversible because it is a function of your pancreas that has stopped working. Right. So you have to take over that. You have to be your pancreatic understudy for the rest of your life. And that's (laughs) then you can absolutely influence it with your lifestyle choices, dietary choices, you know, all of these things. You can definitely influence it, but going away, it won't. Not there's no cure. So at this point, it won't be going away. Type 2, on the other hand, I feel like it can be reversed also with lifestyle measures and not for everyone and not in every case but for a vast majority of people who get that diagnosis can reverse it and keep it with those it's not like you can do like the eight week cabbage soup diet and then it's gone <laughs> no, right. no it has to be sort of a, a lifestyle change for the foreseeable future for you know until it has to be for the long term it can't be a quick fi- it won't be a quick fix it has to be a long-term change, but it, I think 
and I believe deeply that that is possible. The introduction I gave mentioned that you have some tricks up your sleeve. Um, I'm mm -hmm. sure you're not a card player or a poker player. So what type of tricks do you have? Um, or do you have any solutions which can help people and, and turn them into lasting results? Yes, absolutely. I uh, Throughout this process in using it on myself and other people, I've had the wonderful um, fortune in coaching people in this as well. So I'm very uh, happy to say that it's just not me. It works on other people too. But it becomes a whole sort of system of things that one may or may not want to look into. And we've mentioned a few of them, which is of course, what you eat. I don't, I'm a nutritionist who hate the, or a nutrition coach who hates the word diet, but um, you know, look at what you eat. You can look at things, things like moving your body in a way that is fun for you. Don't, don't pun it. Don't make it a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's a celebration of what our bodies can do. That being said, great. Um, and then there's smaller <laughs> things maybe that, that we might not think about, like, are you on, if you are, if you do live with diabetes, are you on the right medication for you? Or are there certain side effects that you might be experiencing that you don't have to? Is this something you can check with a healthcare professional that you trust? Sm even smaller things like hydration, how important that is for blood sugar management. It's, it's incredible how, what, a, what an impact it can have. And I can notice it myself if I have higher blood sugar than I would like, and it's not coming down, although I take more insulin, it's definitely that I haven't hydrated properly. So hydration is very, very important. Things like nutritional supplements, is there something that you're lacking and that could really help you? Um, for example, uh, magnesium is a big one right now. Just speaking generally, no personalized advice, but uh, because our, our soils are almost depleted of magnesium, there's not that much magnesium in our food. So magnesium can be a great one. Um, Omega-3 uh, fatty acids as well, a fantastic, you know, just really simple things that can make a huge difference in, um, in living with diabetes. And then also things like mindset and stress management. Can you do something <laughs> about the stress that we are all experiencing, but uh, maybe handling differently? Um, is there something you could do there, for example? Yeah, things like that. What about kind of hydration you mentioned there? Are we just talking about like topping up on water? Are we talking about yeah. electrolytes and so on? Well, it depends on what uh, your eating habits are. Um, right. I think if you are going, which is also has also been discussed heavily, if you're going on a really, really low, low carb diet for or way of eating <laughs> for diabetes <laughs> in order to help your diabetes, which I'm doing myself. So I, I, there's nothing bad about it. Absolutely. This is great. But then, yes, I think um, electrolytes can be very beneficial. Um, but for a normal person, just drink more water. We are, we are quite dehydrated as, a, as, a, as human beings right now. So I think we need more water all around. And clean water, not, just, not, the, not some weird stuff. <laughs> just clean, normal, <laughs> healthy water. <laughs> Is there then different types of water? I mean, you have all the bottled water. Are you better off? I know, depending on what country that you're living in and the standards of water, yeah. but is bottled water too high in like sodium content or are you, try, are you better off just kind of get a filter for your tap and drink from tap water? I would say if your tap water is clean or if you can have it filtered, then bottled water is a giant waste of money. Right. 
Okay, <laughs> all right, we'll move on. <laughs> move on from that. <laughs> That's for a different discussion. Um, so yeah. let's move on to the business side of things now. Your Fabby website or your wonderful website is uh, hannahboetius.com. And I've been nosing yes. it as I usually do when I'm talking to guests. Um, mm. I'm not ignoring you in any way. I'm just having a little nosy. The, um, I want to find out, you have a section there, which is the low-carb universe. What is the low-carb universe? The low-carb universe uh, is Europe's healthiest event. And we are focusing very heavily on real, whole, healthy foods. Like, I feel like a parrot at this point in this, in oh, this go chat. Ahead. But um, <laughs> yes, everything is focused on, around, on and around real, healthy food and the lifestyle that sort of comes with that. So we have speakers from all over the world. We've had speakers from the US uh, become West Coast <laughs> to uh, you know Australia and everything in between and experts in their fields that really share about what is going on around the world and how they are handling certain things and they all have a topic and they all speak and all of this stuff. It's a very immersive health event to put it that way. And we eat, we all live, we all stay at the same hotel. We've rented the whole hotel. So we have access to everything and with that comes the healthy, uh, happy, local and organic food. <laughs> and this is open for individuals, is it, to attend? Absolutely. I would encourage anyone who is at all interested in a healthy, clean uh, lifestyle to join us because it's not just about the food or the information. It's also things like we make sure that we move our bodies, that we have a good laugh and that we really enjoy ourselves. And, you know, it's a fantastic place to meet uh, like-minded people and to create this community feeling that so many of us especially now after a year 15 months whatever it feels like a hundred years <laughs> of uh, sort of isolation more or less to a certain extent um, and that sort of community feeling that I find is so important for health for for feeling our best and that is a place to for all of us together and just confirming that the looking at the website here, I think the planned or scheduled date is the 10th of November to 14th of November in Mallorca. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. So if they get in touch, they can get in touch with you directly on your website and they can arrange uh, to attend if that's possible. And there's a section looking at there. It's uh, DDoc. Well, what's DDoc? DDoc is a, um, a collection of patients, uh, people who are living with type 1 or type 2 or actually any type of uh, diabetes who sort of support each other and we get to they have this organization has fantastic sponsors that enables us to attend the scientific conferences about diabetes so the hashtag is basically uh, nothing about us without us because until very recently there has been expert meetings and you know scientific conferences and our future care has been discussed over the head of us, you know, behind the back, over the head of us, you know, we haven't been involved at all. And now through this program, through this organization, we get the chance to actually attend, say our opinion, uh, report back to those who aren't able to attend and won't maybe, won't want to attend because it's quite, quite <laughs> heavy to, to go through all those scientific um, sessions and stuff. But it's a fantastic organization that really helps spreading um, knowledge and spreading awareness about and with uh, diabetes. Before we finish our podcast today, where can listeners uh, get in touch with you on social media or on the Facebook, Instagram, Twitters? 
I am on them everything. <laughs> on everything. <laughs> on them everything. On and everything. my user my username is Hannah Diabetes Expert. It's a little cheeky, um, tongue in cheek thing. But yes, <laughs> a little provocative, but it's uh, definitely uh, chosen with a lot of heart. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much um, to uh, Hannah. Uh, Boetius for chatting with you today on the well-being career world as uh, mentioned Hannah has some great information on our website and we'll put all the links in once the uh, podcast is released so thanks so much Hannah for chatting with me today thank you so much for having me it's been a blast